Welcome to the Metro Church Podcast. We hope you will be blessed by this message. For more information about Metro Church, visit our website at metrochurch.org.au. Hi everyone, it's uh, Pastor Jeff Woodward here from Metro Church. Great to be with you again. Uh, God has been doing so many amazing things right throughout the life of Metro, particularly I think over the last couple of months, our Northern Nights of Prayer, you know, the, the great, uh, amazing Easter convention, Deeper Stronger, then Matt and Candice here in May. It's just been an extraordinary time. Gary Hurrigan last month in June. It's just been absolutely brilliant. And I'm really excited about this, my story that we get to share with you because our guest, uh, Mark Edwards, is actually going to be with us next Sunday, live in the building going to be here with us, spending time with us here at Metro, preaching in the morning and then in the night uh, at 5pm we're live in the building with one of our grow sessions where Mark is going to be speaking to us about how we can be activated in terms of salt and light in our community. So but before we get to that though, you know that we always want to honour your giving. I believe it's one of the really the sacred things that we get to do, actually. I was reading just this morning about David setting aside so much for the building of God's temple through his son Solomon. And he was investing into another generation, into another space, and investing for people that I guess he never would know or would meet. And I think about that when it comes to our giving, that so much of our giving, particularly here at Metro, is going to be helping people and blessing people, some of whom you and I may never meet this side of heaven. And that's why I believe it's so important because what we're giving to God is not just money as in an amount of dollars or cents. What we're giving to God is saying, we're giving you our heart and we're also giving the opportunity to others to be reached. So let's pray before we start our chat with Mark Edwards today. Father, we thank you for this time together. We thank you for what you have given us. Lord, everything we have came from you. And so, Lord, it's not difficult for us to begin to sow back to you. Many of us, Lord, uh, we're new at this whole thing of giving and receiving. We haven't stepped out in this before. And Lord, you are challenging each one of us and saying, let's do this. And Father, we want to sow into your kingdom, into your work, into what you are doing. We pray for the people that will be the recipients of this, the beneficiaries of it, the people that will be reached and touched and helped on the other side of it. We thank you for your blessing upon every giver, upon their home, their life, their business. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for that. Hey, uh, let's start our chat. This is the very reverend himself, Mark Edwards, who's no stranger to us all here at Metro, by the way, uh, having come years and years ago, I think about 12 years ago, Mark, was it, you came and did your teaching on journaling. Yeah, I did. Yeah, about that time. That was amazing. Welcome, by the way. Great to have you with Thank us. You. Um, I was only thinking this morning because uh, I have done that every single day since you yeah. came, apart yeah. from one day I remember I missed, but other than that, and it's been such a blessing to my life, and I think that's one of the things that I do admire. Let's get all the flattery out of the way at the start, but one of the things I do admire about you is your consistency and your steadiness. You know, that this is not some kind of a, I'll give it a go and a flash in the pan and, you know, just uh, kind of, I, I guess, start something, but you're someone who f finishes things, follows things through, 
even when you have had great difficulty in your life. But rather than go to that, I'll come to that a bit later, let's start talking about your upbringing because you grew up in a political family. Your father uh, was a medical doctor, I think, originally. Is that correct? It is, yeah. Then in 1972, he becomes uh, the Member of Parliament for Ipswich, is it? That's right. And then becomes the Minister for Health? Yes, youngest member, youngest Minister for Health. Oh, really? Yeah, at that stage in Queensland, the youngest minister. Then he becomes the Deputy Premier of Queensland from 1983 through to 1988, I think that's right. Um, And can I just say this, having come from Queensland, your dad was Deputy Premier at a time when the allegations of corruption in government at the highest levels were swirling around and later on through the Fitzgerald Inquiry were proven to be so, and yet your dad always, I remember I remember him, and even back then it was like your dad had an integrity about him that he was never accused of corruption in any way, shape, or form and had an incredible testimony of his faith in God. Yeah, look, it's an interesting season, really. Um, if we start towards the end, Jeff, I can remember my dad saying after giving evidence at the Fitzgerald inquiry. So you can imagine how how terrible that was. I mean, I don't think anyone who wasn't there at the time can appreciate what it was like to have the Fitzgerald inquiry and the corruption allegations against the Bijocky Peterson government in the media every day. And yet, you know, Dad had to give evidence, obviously. So one of his proudest accomplishments, he always used to say, was when I got the letter from Tony Fitzgerald saying that I was completely innocent, I was completely integrous, and there was nothing there. And as my dad said, well, it wasn't there anyway. But you've got to understand that, you know, from an early age, um, I was, you know, obviously educated at an all-boys primary school, all-boys high school, went and did law, and, you know, only 18 of us graduated at the end of that uh, from 120 that started, and there was only two females. So my wife and three daughters say that that all-male education certainly shows. But what that male, what that education gave me, Jeff, was that, remember, I was a politician's son during that most formulative years when I was at high school. So from 13 to 16, 17... I'm at high school in a labour town of Ipswich. My father is the only Conservative member since Federation and there has never been a Conservative member since. And so, you know, those days were not easy days. Um, And I, I think my upbringing has made me who I am, both good and bad, because every day it was an interesting season going through life as a politician's son in an all-boys school. And in those days, Jeff, as you might remember, uh, discipline was not done by the teachers, it was done by the students. So what could go wrong with 16-year-old students disciplining, you know, 12- and 13-year-old students according to the old British private school system? So that formulated who I am. How did the fact of your father's faith play into that, Mark? Because when he retired from government... He became the leader of arguably, I think, one of the biggest Christian events 
ever held in this nation, which was Expo 88. I remember going to it. It was like, I cannot recall anything else ever, maybe the Billy Graham crusade, but people literally came from all around the world to see this Christian exposition or uh, this exposition. It was just a wonderful, well, uh, the whole thing wasn't Christian, but the Pavilion of Promise was there, et cetera. And your dad was the chairman of all of that, world dignitaries. I remember the Magna Carta was on display with armed guards everywhere. And so you grow up in this place where faith and politics are in the same house, in a nation where from a young age we're all told that there are two things you never talk about, religion and politics. And in your house, that's just about all that gets talked about. Yeah, I mean, you've got to also understand, Jeff, that prior to this world event taking place uh, in 1988, my mum passes away six weeks beforehand. So she dies of an asthma attack in a, in a few moments while Dad is at home during the night. So he's not only doing World Expo 88, but he's doing it on the back of the death of his wife, who has been his loving companion for 30 years, so I tell you that to tell you this, that his faith journey actually started to erode uh, from Expo because he started to actually question faith. And the, the, the catalyst for that was mum's death. But in growing up, I, I saw a man that stood for his faith and it cost him a lot. So it was, it, I, I learned what the cost of Christianity was by simply watching my dad in politics because he had to make these faith-based integrous decisions because his integrity came from his faith. Remember, his father was a congregational minister, so he, he knew what it was like to have faith, to persevere in faith, to trust God through horrific circumstances, and he did have a few as a, as a young boy and a young man. And I saw that in practice. I saw him. Um, I, I saw him praying. I saw him believing God to get him through some of the most difficult times. But I also saw his faith fade um, at some periods of his life and then towards the end of his life coming back into faith. It was quite an interesting journey that he did. So as a young man in high school, when all this is going on or just starting law, how big a role was faith playing in your own life? You know, it's, is it just in the background or is it like vibrant? What, what's it like for you? Yeah, you know, I mean, even though my Christians, my, 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 both my parents were Christians. So mum was not raised as a Christian, but in meeting dad and her family became a Christian and they attended the local congregational church. So we were dragged along to the congregational church. And in those days, everyone was. You know, all those churches, Jeff, as you would well know, were community-based churches, weren't they? Everyone in the neighbourhood went to Sunday school. But I drifted away um, quite, you know, quite uh, innocently, I suppose. I mean, you just go through those times where faith didn't seem to matter and God didn't seem to matter. But what then happened was that when I was in my second year of university, I became incredibly lonely and at that particular time, I drifted back to a youth group uh, in the city. And I'll never forget what happened. You know, it's amazing how God works all things together because I don't think church attracted me 
in those days. But if you remember back, you know, 40, 45 years ago when I did get saved, there was a uh, this concept that was right going around the world of Josh McDowell putting Jesus on trial, putting God on trial. Well, I was a second year law. I was a second year law student, and I can remember having this camp organised for young adults by the church I was going to, the youth group I was going to, that was going to put God on trial for the weekend. Well, I was in, you know. Apart from the, apart from all the girls that were going to be there, and I make that point very clearly, including my future wife. And I got saved that weekend, Jeff, not through any emotional appeal or um, any evangelist coming. I got saved because. Over that weekend, we diligently put God on trial and as far as I'm concerned, um, I just looked at it and thought, he's real. And it was one-on-one. I was at my desk uh, coming back from camp on a Sunday night and I prayed. I said, God, I I believe you're real and I, I want you in my life. I'm not sure what that means, but I want you in my life. And from that day to this, I'll be honest, Jeff, and you know, you've known me for such a long period of time, I haven't gone back on that. You know, once I made the decision, that was it. And, um, and it was really because of that, that environment that, I, that my mother encouraged me to. She said, I can remember her saying, look, you, you know, you're lonely, you, universities are pressure, go to a youth group. And that's what I did. I love the fact, though, that God has used your intellect, which is formidable, but he's used that to not only bring you to himself, you know, you probably may not have been influenced by a, you know, an emotional appeal, but you were touched by an, an intellectual questioning, as a lot of people are. Um, and I think that some people kind of do think that if you become a Christian, you basically park your brain, your intellect at the door. Can you just talk to that for a minute about, you know, the the fact that God is interested in us understanding him and knowing things about him and the way he works? Yeah, I think there's two parts to that, Jeff. First of all, I think Jesus was, if you read the stories of Jesus, he was the master at engaging debate. He encouraged debate. He wasn't afraid to debate concepts of faith. So that attracted me at the time. But I can also remember moving away from that intellect because, you know, I was in a perhaps a church at the time where, you know, intellect was frowned upon, questioning was frowned upon. You didn't, you didn't, ask any any deep questions. And I carried that for a number of years. And I remember one night when I'd had a very, very senior and internationally known pastor with me, and he asked me about my background. And, and I can remember as a young, a young pastor, I was only in the game for, you know, a few months. And I said to him, oh, yes, I was a lawyer, but I've left all that behind. And he looked at me with this incredulous look and then said, well, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And he said, you know, I thought, oh, well, thank you for that. That's very encouraging. And he said, do you honestly think God would place you in the environment of law and then waste all that? He said, you've been given the gift of intellect. He said, I, I, I've been with you for a short period of time. And he said, you have a gift that intellectually you can really influence people through that. So he said, why don't you start growing up and don't throw that part of your life away? And from that moment onwards, Jeff, I realised that intellect was a gift for me and it was, and I'm saying that humbly, 
But I really thrived on the fact that I could question, I could, I, I read more extensively. Um, and I've enjoyed the intellectual journey of faith. That's not to say that there are not, that my emotional side doesn't connect with God. Please understand that. But I do connect, I think, with God more appropriately through intellect, hence my devotions. I, I, that's the way I really feel I hear from God. It's through that reading of God's word. And God just speaks to me out of, those, out of that more than anything else. I think that that's one of the reasons, though, too, Mark, because of your own journey and doubts and questions, I think because I've been at your church a few times and you can see that in the community because it's not just you in the pulpit on a Sunday or in the front of the congregation, but I've been with you in cafes, I've been with you walking down the main street where obviously people respect you and are interested because you're not someone who's got it all in a box and it's all nice and neat and sewn up. So I see people from all different kinds of backgrounds that probably might think the church wouldn't welcome them, but you've got the ability to be able to say, it's okay for you to have your doubts. It's okay for you to wrestle over, well, why does God say that? And I think that that is a great space for a lot of people. I think there's a lot more people who are who, who haven't got it all figured out and they're not just ready right now to press the button and go that, I'm in, but they've got a few questions. Yeah, I mean, Jeff, I've always thought that we shouldn't be embarrassed to question our faith. Now, I'm, I'm not embarrassed to question faith, and for the simple reason I know it's going to stand up. I, I really know it's going to stand up. Now, this is probably the wrong way to put it, but if it was a contest, I reckon Christianity comes out pretty good. I, I really do. I, I honestly can justify that. And I've always had the opinion that a church should be, and I'm not, I'm not being just, you know, spiritually um, articulate. I'm saying I do believe it should be salt and light. And the only way to do that is be in the community. And the community do have questions. So let's let's answer the questions. So I, I love being part of a group, and I'm in a running group, as you know, and they ask me all these questions all the time. And it, it, you th we thrive on the fact that we should be able to advocate our faith in a very clear manner and not a manner that they don't understand. <laughs> I mean, look, can I just say this? The, the parable of the sower, to be spiritual, I mean, the frightening part about the parable of the sower is some of that seed gets onto ground that should allow the seed to, to grow but it gets taken away and the explanation of it is because that seed was, you know, the seed, the word of God, was not understood. That particular part of that parable scares a living daylights out of me, that we have to, that we're presenting a gospel that is not understood. I, I don't get that I, because the gospel Jesus presented was so understandable that notorious sinners and others came and listened to him. I just think we've got to embrace that more and not less. Can I ask you then on that, because when you and I were growing up, perhaps there was a time where the church was central in the community, held in high esteem. Yeah. There would have been no public gathering without some ministers there to officiate, say a prayer, do something. Um, and now we see the church... Uh, its influence has been sidelined in a large measure and 
one of the reasons why I've asked you to come to Metro was because I've always felt that there should have been a more reasonable position for us. When I say reasonable, I don't mean necessarily that everyone will like it. I just mean that we ought to be more reasonable in the presentation of what we believe and why we believe it. So you've appeared before the Australian Law Reform Commission. Uh, you've appeared before the Senate Select Committee. And I've read the papers that you presented there where you are not going, hey, look, this is what the Bible says and tough for you if you don't like it, but where you're saying, no, this is a the reason why we believe what we believe and why we believe we ought to be allowed to pursue that. Um, we're going to talk about that in another session a bit later, and you will cover that, I'm sure, when you're here with us next week. But I'm just fascinated by how you got into this whole space because you're uh, you're raised in this highly political family. You become a Christian in second year law. You practice law for a while, then get the feel the call to ministry, and then go. I'm chucking all the legal stuff out, and now here you are back in a perfect blend of both of those, appearing before all these major inquiries. How did you end up with this? Yeah, look, it's a it's a reluctant story, Jeff. Uh, you know, don't think that I've that I've come into this um, and and said, oh wow, thank you, God, uh, because because I haven't. It has been a most unpleasant experience, and sometimes I've learned that when you're called to something. The call of God is necessary, but not necessarily pleasant. So what happened for me was that I, I had no concept that religious freedom was an issue. I had none. I just had none. And I got a phone call one day from someone in our movement, Australian Christian Churches, and they said, "Look, we haven't got anyone else to go to sit. We haven't got anyone else to go to Sydney, but they're launching a religious freedom thingy." I mean, they didn't know anything about it. Um, you know, um, no one else is available. You're it. So I'm the last resort, Jeff. I mean, they didn't get me because I'm brilliant, my intellect, my legal background, or whether I was born in God's own country called Ipswich. It was because no one else was available. So I'm going down to Sydney, and and they're going to the Attorney General at the time, Christian Porter, is going to launch religious freedom, and I get to go to the Great Synagogue in Sydney. I mean, beautiful. Now I know it's a. It won't be a long story, but here's how it started, and here's why I'm still in it. And it's an emotional story. As I come to the Great Synagogue, and I'm pretty excited. You've got to, so you've this, got to understand this. Just this for those who don't know, the Great Synagogue, you're talking about an actual uh, Jewish yep. house of worship there in Sydney. Oh, absolutely. It's 145 years old. It's in the main street of Sydney. I mean, it's it's this magnificent building. It's been there. You know, the Jewish community have been worshipping there for 145 years. And this little Ipswich boy, he's, he's there. But I'm confronted by two armed guards before I get there. And then as I'm, 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 I'm ushered into the building, I'm put in a room just by myself. It's just a room. And there's, there's something going on that I'm not aware of because they shut the doors and I'm standing there. Now I now find out as I'm ushered out, that was a bomb-proof room. That's a bomb-proof room. So they had x-rayed me to find out if I had any explosives. So I get into the building itself and I sit in the, the pew and I look up and painted on the ceiling is all the stars. And as I'm looking up, the woman beside me starts to realise I'm a stranger. And she is the one of the rabbi's spouses. And she says, I notice you're looking up. 
And she said, do you know what? She said, that's to remind us that God's faithful with his promises because when Abraham looked up and saw the stars, he was always reminded of God's faithfulness. And then there's a pause and then she says this and she said, I know why we're here today. And remember, I'm arrogant enough not to wear the head sc- the skull cap. I refuse that, which I t- regret to this day. And then she says to me, she says, you know, I'm here because one day I hope my kids can walk into church or the synagogue like your kids can. And I said, what do you mean? She said, well, I want my kids to come in without being searched, without the cars being searched for bombs. I want them to be able to walk down the street with a skull cap on and they're not abused. I want the women in our community to not be abused on public transport. I want to be able to freely worship. And then she just looked away. And and I sat there stunned. I, I literally sat there and thought, how arrogant are you? You're not even prepared to wear a skull cap. You you have no idea what what religious freedom is all about. And I'm, you're sitting beside someone who experiences the deprivation of their religious freedom every time they enter the synagogue. And my life changed, Jeff. And that was that was nearly seven years ago. And since then, I, I've become, as you know, the Australian Christian Church's advocate for religious freedom in this space. And there have been some horrific times. I mean, I've appeared before hostile Senate inquiries. I've appeared before the Australian Law Reform Commission and did quite badly, really. Um, But beneath it all is this desire for that conversation to become real. That one day, and it will never happen, but one day I can look that woman in the eye again and say, hey, you didn't get searched on the way into the synagogue. The car didn't have mirrors put under it in the car park to ensure there's no bombs. I mean... I know there's a fine line between between racial discrimination and religious freedom, but, gee, it's a fine line, Jeff. And so that's why I'm in this space. It's a calling. That's what I'm saying. So I can't run away from it. And, and there are times when I wish I could. I'm a pastor of a church, Jeff, and I don't like publicity. I don't like, you know, I like flying under the radar. You know that. But this has propelled me into a space that has, that has caused me to, to really be absolutely concerned about religious freedom in in this nation and at the same time realise that God has given me a very unique set of skills that I am the steward of. And if I don't use them, I'm going to be accountable. I think, Mark, that's one of the things that always intrigues me when we've done these My Stories is seeing how God was involved in our life before we knew he was even there. Yeah, that's right never ceases to amaze me. This boy grows up in Ipswich, which was a pretty, um, you know, um, what would you say, low socioeconomic part of, yeah. of Queensland. Father rises to great prominence, and that can't have been an enjoyable space, I would have thought, for you in high school. One, because your dad was the, I think at one point he was the, wasn't he the state director of the Liberal Party or the leader of the Liberal Party in Queensland? He was a leader of the Liberal Party, yeah. So you get that in a, a Labor stronghold, plus his faith, which he's very open about, very vocal about. I remember, you know, it was kind of like there was a little tinge back in those days of mocking him as a as a churchy kind of a guy. 
you go, there's this desire in you for law, you do all this stuff, and then here you are seven years ago only, God begins to take all the threads together and you go, this is actually my sweet spot. Yeah, and it's more than that, Jeff. I mean, you know, I, I, I practice in the criminal jurisdiction, so I'm involved in court work every day, literally every day. I work for the Legal Aid Commission, do it specialising in criminal law for two years. So every day I'm in court. And the combativeness, the ability to think on your feet really quickly, to be very, very well prepared. Because if you're not prepared, your client goes to jail. And that's not an exaggeration in a lot of cases that I was acting for with the Legal Aid Commission. So here I am appearing before a Senate committee or the Australian Law Reform Commission. It's exactly the same environment. And, I, and, and when I appeared before the Senate uh, committee, it was really interesting because it was pretty hostile by the time I got there to, to give evidence. And I just found the whole experience, although daunting, it didn't, it didn't trouble me in a sense because I'd done it. I'd done it before, whereas my colleagues that I knew, they are actually very scared of that situation. Now, I I was a bit scared, but they've never had that experience. For me, it was like, well, yeah, I was raised in that that environment, you know, and I'm not being arrogant, but I I was thinking, give us your best shot because, you know, you know, I, I've I've had, you know, in those days, um, judges were not as nice perhaps as they were now. I mean, you made a mistake in court, they let you know about it. So I'm thinking as a, you know, these senators, give it your best shot, <laughs> honestly. But again, the whole fact, yeah. the whole fact of God weaving that all together, you know, yeah, your, your skill set, your intellect, funny. your experience, your upbringing, it's almost like God doesn't waste anything in our lives. No, even the writing of submissions, Jeff, you know, um, other people would think they're a chore. I just think, man, I, I just love them. I think it's great. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> because, again, that's been my training. It's, uh, um, you know, but being a bonehead like I am, it only took me, what, you know, what, 25 years to work it out, really. Talk, yeah, but, talk to us just, let, let's bring this back down to our, all of us and our everyday because, when you first came to Metro those years ago, I had you told me about your book, One Day Over Coffee, I think was the title. Is that yeah. right? Yeah, and, because that's where it started. But I really kind of didn't think it was anything that, yeah. you know, for yeah. me, I go, oh, that's not the way I do it. And I thought, well, I'm going to come along to the – we had a, a seminar that you you spoke at. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, this sounds interesting. I might try it. <laughs> And I literally, it's the first thing I do every single morning of my life, no matter where I am, where I am in the world, doesn't matter. I get, I've got my journal, I've got my read through the Bible program in one year, and I read it all. And some of the bits I just go, I have no idea what that's about or why you said that, God. But there's always something that I've never read yet where there wasn't something in the day that I went, wow, that's, I'll write that down. That's great. So can you just briefly give everyone a bit of an overview of how you structure that? Not everyone's got to follow the formula, but I think to have a practice of spiritual devotion, I wonder how much of all of that God gave you years before because he knew you were going to be in hot places and you'd need the sustaining power of that. Yeah, I mean, I remember when it first started, Jeff, and I've told you this story. So the book was was called, it's out of print now, of course, One Day Over a Coffee. But, it, you know, I, I, I 
I don't know whether you've heard of Pastor Wayne Cadero from Hawaii. I went and visited him and I sat down and, you know, my lawyer's nature, Jeff, I had this list of questions I was going to ask him and he just brushed me off. We were in a Starbucks in Waikiki and he looked at me and said, how's your devotions going? And I ignored him. I thought, well, you know, they're not going real well, actually. I'm not even, I'm not reading my Bible much at all. And, and you know, he just, so I came back with a question and he just looked at me and said, how's your devotions going? I said, well, you know, do you want, really want to talk about that? He said, no, I don't want to talk about it. I want to do it. And so this is what he did. He gave me a Bible. I mean, obviously it was one of his and I had a Bible, but not at the coffee shop. And he gave me my first journal. And he said, this is what I want you to do. I want you to sit down and I want you to read just one chapter today. Just read one chapter. Before you do, just say to the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, what would you say to me today? So I read the chapter and he said, right, we're going to journal together. We're going to use a method that I've called SOAP, S-O-A-P, because as he said, the Bible refers to the Word of God as the refiner's soap or a laundry soap. And he said, you can do this anywhere in the world. He said, so first of all, what did God speak to you about? What's scripture? Write it down, S. Then O, what, what, what's your observation of it? What, what you know, you, you're an ex-lawyer, make an observation. But he said, the most important thing is the A. How does it apply, your application? And then here's a novel concept, he said, write your prayer out. Well, I, I'm a Pentecostal. I mean, I don't write my prayers out, Jeffrey. Come on, that, uh, we, we, we're not that, we don't do that. I thrive on it. And like you, um, I, came from, uh, I came from where I did my devotions today. I have scores of journals, I mean scores. And, you know, I know um, that it has sustained me through health challenges and other challenges because it's amazing, isn't it, Jeff, that you read a passage and it just applies to you today. Yep. Today. Yep. You know, and that's why, you know, it's not a trite statement to say the word of God is living. I would not be still in ministry without a, a number of things, but the primary thing is my devotional life. Um, and you're the same. It, it's, it's, it's not... It's not something we have to do anymore. It's something that we want to do because that's the way God speaks to me. So devotions is the essence of who I am. I, you know, I, I, I just I can't live without it. I travel with my Bible and my journal like you do. It's, it's there. Everyone else is, a, you know, electronical stuff. I, nah, I just want to scribble. I mean, my Bible's a mess, Jeff. You've seen it. It is a mess. It's got writing all over it and it's got stuff all in it. Praise God it has. Wow. I just find it just remarkable that you can read through the entire Bible in a year and you don't have to yep. do that, by the way, but yep. uh, you can do that and yet even after years and years of it, every single day you'll still find something that God speaks to you about. And I wish I had been doing it a lot earlier in my oh, life. Me too. But, yeah, there you go. Well, I mean, there's just so many. Can I just ask you quickly here, and then yeah. I'm going to get yeah. you to pray, because there are two strong uh, th threads going through our conversation today that we never really planned on. But one is the fact that God is watching over all of our life and is going to use all the bits along the way, the good and the bad, 
because he's got a plan and he's got a purpose. Secondly is having a foundation of spiritual devotions. Let me just quickly ask you about the the massive heart attack that you had in the driveway of your church. <laughs> yeah, if you can have a heart attack, Jeffrey, why don't you do it in the driveway of the church? You know, it's great. No, well, look, very briefly, uh, and you know the story, I, you know, I was running uh, and I was very fit. Uh, you know, just a few years before I'd, I'd turned 50 and I decided that I needed to get fit. And And to be honest, I don't leave God out of what happened, but thank goodness I was fit. Because as you'll find out, it, it was the turning point. So I felt some chest pain after I finished running. And even though the ambulance centre was no no more than 500 metres away, I decided to drive home. I mean, that was about eight or nine kilometres away. So 500 metres, eight or nine kilometres, what could go wrong? And I got basically to the roundabout near the church and missed it completely. Just the pain was so great. Um, my vision had gone by that stage. I couldn't keep my hand on the steering wheel of the car and I just ploughed straight through the, the roundabout and I, I'm, inc- I'm incredibly bright, Jeffrey. At that stage I thought, Houston, we have a problem. <laughs> so by the time I was able to pull the car up and I don't remember going through the lights, I saw the church driveway and I pulled in. And by that stage I obviously was having a heart attack I managed to make a phone call to my home and yell three words, uh, ambulance, heart, church, and they put that together. And the ambulance arrived and, as you know, they um, resuscitated me at the site and I was then taken to Brisbane where I'd I'd had a massive heart attack, a massive heart attack, and two lots of surgery later and four stents. So during that period of time, It was pretty frightening because at that stage, after my heart attack, I was only left with about 17% function in the heart. And again, my devotion sustained me. You know, I can remember reading, just reading those, those scriptures, and there were scriptures in the Psalms. So I must have been in the Psalms at that time. Things like you know, where, where David cried out, but the response of God was, I'm going to restore your health. Or Now, it was so generic, but I grabbed hold of it. You know, um, you know, there was a, I think there was a passage in Ezekiel where it says, I'm going to give you a new heart. It did not mean a new physical heart, but now I didn't care. I grabbed hold of that. And they were those things that sustained me. And, and in saying that, Jeffrey, um, my heart attack has formed my life since then. Once you've had a heart attack, it changes you. And once you've been at death's door, it changes you. And so there is not a lot of time to waste after that. And so I think, therefore, I was ripe for the opportunity when the religious freedom stuff did come around to say, I'm not going to avoid that. Uh, And perhaps if I had not had the heart attack, I would have said, you know what, I'm not sure I want to do this. Wow. You've since (laughs) since gone on and... And run the Paris Marathon, did you? Was that the? Yeah, two two years almost to the day of my heart attack, I uh, completed the Paris Marathon. So the seventeen percent heart function didn't stay at seventeen percent. No, no, no. It's uh, it's. I've, I had my recent tests. I have tests every year, and it's well, well above that now. Well, well, well above. Hmm. I'm doing well, Jeffrey. Uh, yeah. Again, Mark, I'm so. I just love your story because I love hearing how God is in it 
on the days when we don't think he's even there. You, know, right. you have a heart attack, massive heart attack, all these four stents. God, what is earth going on? Is this the end of my life? And God goes, son, don't worry about it. I got all this. And he's organizing everything for you now to be in the space where you are uh, as a massive voice on behalf of all the Australian church, really, uh, at a very crucial time in our history where lots of very big decisions are being made about what role faith will play in our society as a whole. Um, but most of us aren't going to be asked by God to get in that space uh, at all, Mark, but God's got a plan for every single one of us, and all of us are called by God to serve Him in some way or other. And I'd love it if you would just pray for all uh, everyone that's with us in this service, just saying, God, help us to discover you in the good and the bad so that we can walk in the plan you have for us. Is that all right? Yeah, I'd love to because you can imagine, Jeff, when you're sitting in a politician's office and I'm looking at them and I know, I know how they feel because my dad was a politician. I know, I know what's going on, you know, and it, it's not what they're presenting. Again, God weaved all that into place, didn't he? So let me pray, hey? Holy Spirit, would you come in this moment and would you reinforce to us that you have a plan for our lives, that you put it all together. It's like that master tapestry. Sometimes we only look at the back of the tapestry where we see all these ends everywhere and it doesn't make any sense and it doesn't even look nice. And then we turn it over to the front of the tapestry and it's perfect. And I know, Lord, you've got a plan and a purpose like that for everyone where you just look at this complete picture put together in a wonderful way. And I pray for everyone that they'll have their eyes open, their hearts attuned, so that they will understand that they're on this journey and God's got this. So, Lord, please, let your favour be upon people today. In Jesus' name, amen. Mark, it's just so wonderful. Thank you so much for praying. I just want to chat to everyone that's a part of this service because some of you may be like Mark was sitting at that desk after having been away and the journey wasn't just one weekend. That might have been no. the, the, the catalyst for it, but all the thinking that goes before that, the faith you've observed in people around about you, but your own questions of what does this mean to me and is God really there? And I know that... I was much the same on that kind of a journey, having observed faith, but feeling like maybe I just wasn't cut out for it. And then coming to a point where I really just simply said to Jesus, I'll give you my life, as you said, without even really knowing what that means, without, right. without understanding at all, but knowing the importance of that step to say yes to Jesus. And, you know, we've been doing this here at Metro for so long now and it's so beautiful and so powerful that people just simply send their yes, their why yes, just that word. They send that to the number that's on the screen there for you, 0488-826-392. Or if you want to get our help, our encouragement via email, you go to yes.metrochurch.org.au and you're simply able to give us the yes. We don't get your name, your details. There's no big forms to fill in. It's simply you saying to Jesus, here's my yes. And then we send you the next day after we get it. And we do get these, by the way, Mark, 
all hours of the day and night from all around the world. People say, I want to follow Jesus. And then we send you a Bible verse and a prayer. They're different every single day. And you get that for 30 days. You can opt out whenever you like. We never write and ask you for anything. That's not what it's about. It's about us saying, we want to celebrate the decision you've just made. We want to help you and encourage you. Because we all know that starting with Jesus is incredible, but continuing with Jesus is even more (laughs) incredible. So there it is for you right now. Just send your yes uh, from your heart. Simply saying, Jesus, as Mark said, I want you in my life. Jesus, I don't know what it means, all of this, but I want to walk with you and I want you to help me. Send it through 0488-826-392 or yes.metrochurch.org.au and uh, we'll be in touch and want to bless you. And thank you for doing that. Mark, I'm so looking forward to next Sunday. Me too. And it's going to be an absolute cracker. I mean, I, I kind of feel like where we are is a bit of a turning point moment in Australia. Yeah. I, I don't say that for dramatic effect. I say it because I feel like there's all these cross currents. And if ever there was a time when Christians needed to be able to rationally think through what's going on and how to respond well, um, well, this is that moment. So thank you for that. Thanks for sharing your my story. Give our love to Gail and all the kids and the grandies, of course. And that'll be just awesome. God bless you. Thank you.